Hello and welcome to another episode of The Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Bellotti, and I am really excited today to talk about blitzscaling in the age of a pandemic. And we have Chris Yeh, who is the co-author of Blitzscaling and co-founder of the Global Scaling Academy, joining us today to talk all about it. Chris, thanks so much for joining. It's a pleasure to be here, Matt, and I am so glad to be able to share some ideas with the audience. Yeah, this is great. I'm really excited. So I know folks know, probably know the book, have read the book, have a little bit of background on you, but you have done many things outside of that. So maybe you can give a quick intro of yourself and we'll go ahead and jump in. Absolutely. So I've been in the startup world since 1995, which is shocking to me, but I guess you figure out a few things after you've been around for so long. I've been an entrepreneur, an investor, and now an author and mentor and advisor. Probably the most well-known company is Ustream, one of the live video pioneers. I predicted back in 2007 that live video was going to be a huge business and it paid off. Eventually, IBM bought that company for $130 million and have just been observing the startup world for the past 25 years and love sharing what I've learned. That is awesome. And one of the ways that I have learned from what you've learned is by reading Blitzscaling, which is a great book. And then I recently had another guest on here and we talked all about product-led SEO. That was Eli Schwartz and he introed me to you. And I watched some of your talks. I knew I loved the book and so I had to have you on. And so what I wanted to, to frame our conversation on today, on the podcast, we've only talked about the pandemic and how it's affected growth once in a short episode that I did, but I would love to have your expert opinion on it. And so I think we can cover some of the core principles around blitzscaling, what has remained the same, what has changed, like what people should do if they're in any given situation around maybe product market fit, or if they're considering blitzscaling, or if they've been in the middle of it, what that looks like. So if that sounds good to you, I'll, we'll go ahead and jump in with the first question. Perfect. Let's go. All right. So you had outlined in the book that uncertainty is a core principle of blitzscaling. It's a necessary piece of that action, right? And so one of the things that I'm wondering is how has that been magnified or has changed given our current environment? So the reason uncertainty is so important for blitzscaling is because uncertainty means that the cautious people are afraid to move forward. They want to wait for more data to come in. And the reason blitzscalers gain a competitive advantage is because they are more willing to take risks. They are more tolerant of that uncertainty, which enables them to be the first to reach scale, which enables them to tap into things like network effects to make them an enduring market leader. So when we think about the pandemic and all the change it's brought, it's brought a tremendous amount of uncertainty. It means that people are scared. People aren't sure what to do. And when you're a person who can act boldly under those circumstances, then you can do very well. The other thing the pandemic has done is has actually accelerated change in a couple of areas, telehealth and telemedicine, for example, e-commerce. We've talked about how e-commerce has increased by double-digit percentage points, and it had taken a decade or more for it to increase the previous double-digit percentage points. So as a result, because of this uncertainty, because the world is changing faster than ever before, Somebody who's able to identify a new market or a market that's going through transition and go after it aggressively is in a great position to succeed. You think that in some scenarios, like given certain industries, it still makes a lot of sense to blitzscale given you have some of the other core principles still going for you? 
Absolutely. And the core principles of blitzscaling are relatively straightforward. What you're looking for is a winner-take-most market, which means you need to have some network effects or land grab effects to lock in market leadership. You need to have strong distribution because if the goal is to achieve critical scale and market leadership, the faster you can do that, the less expensively you can do that, the more effectively blitzscalable a company is. And then blitzscaling companies still need to be good businesses. So you want to have a big market. You want to have good gross margins. You want to have product market fit. And you want to be able to manage the operational scalability of growing. On the market size piece, this is one of the things obviously covered in the book pretty extensively. And you touched on a couple industries that are seeing some growth. Is it as clear cut as some industries are in a bad place Some industries are in a good place and there's kind of like a circle that you can draw around each of them. Or is there like really a lot of overlap and in each industry, even if one's struggling, it still opens a lot of opportunity. So it is absolutely the case that even in a struggling industry, there is opportunity. And that's because blitzscaling is a matter of relative speed rather than absolute speed. Remember, the objective is to beat the competition, to achieve market leadership in a way that gives you an enduring competitive advantage. And during a time when your industry is shrinking, if you're able to grow, it actually magnifies the space that you're putting between you and the competition. Because as you're moving forward, your competition is moving backwards. Now, it is important to note that as this pandemic progresses, as we see the after effects come out, it's not always clear which industries are winners or losers up front. There are a few where it's pretty clear. For example, the airline industry is definitely a big loser because people don't want to get into a metal tube with a bunch of people who might infect them. But there's been other things that have been unusual, like Airbnb, for example, obviously took a very big initial hit, but has since recovered quite a bit because people have been going for driving vacations and people have been going for renting longer term rentals on Airbnb. And their revenues have actually come back quite a bit and they just recently filed for a confidential IPO. So things that may look very dire can actually turn around. Things that look great initially, you never know what's going to happen. As always, you have to be very aware of what's going on and attuned to the market so that you can adapt quickly. Do you think that there are clear examples of companies that were maybe in the midst of blitzscaling? Airbnb is one that you had mentioned as we entered the pandemic and either fumbled really badly with their process of decision making around it or like were able to change quickly enough to continue on that that sort of trajectory. Do Do any examples come to mind on either side of that? Absolutely. So let's think about a couple of the businesses that have been really badly affected. Airbnb is an example of the travel business, but there's other things in the transportation and logistics business. Obviously, if we look at ride hailing and ride sharing, companies like Lyft and Uber have seen their rides decline precipitously. But at the same time, Uber, for example, has offset that partially with a massive increase in Uber Eats. So we've seen these companies be able to adapt relatively quickly on the fly to the new circumstances. I have personally worked with a number of small companies. Uh, it's a crazy thing. I was just talking with one earlier, small company called Rideon with an R-Y-D-E, and they were a taxi facilitation company. Obviously, that went away. And so they pivoted entirely to online groceries and actually have greater revenues now than they did before. And so people who are able to make that shift It may seem a little strange at times to go from facilitating taxi rides to delivering groceries, but people are finding ways. So I'm pretty curious, now that we've seen 
the impact of a completely uncertain, unforeseen event that can drastically alter the trajectories of blitzscaling companies. Do you think that companies that are either in the middle of blitzscaling or are considering it for a future strategy or growth path, should they plan for this sort of unforeseen thing? Like, is it a thing that you should bake into your blitzscaling process now? Or is it just like, those things are going to happen and you just have to be good at adapting. Like what, how, what's your take on that? So our hope is certainly that the coronavirus pandemic is more of a one-off. I think that obviously nothing like this has happened for over a hundred years and hopefully it'll be a lot longer before something like this happens again. That being said, What's really important for a blitzscaling company, because they are running a greater degree of risk than a traditional company might, is to be very attuned to shifts in the marketplace. So when the coronavirus pandemic hit, the people who were able to act quickly and who understood that things were changing more than perhaps they might have expected a year ago, were the ones who were really able to position themselves well. The analogy I use is it's a bit like a NASCAR race where there's a crash and everyone gets a caution flag, which means they have to creep around the track very slowly. Now, in NASCAR, you have to maintain the same order you were in when the crash occurred. But in the case of this pandemic, there's nothing holding you back. So as everyone slows down, you can figure out a way to pick your way around them and get to the front of the line so that when we're able to restart, you can really sprint out in front. Let's make up an example company. So let's say that there's a listener that is building a company to take advantage of this massive transition to remote work, right? We see all these huge companies saying we are now remote first. Anyone can work indefinitely from home. If you are in the spot where there had been a bit of a surge of companies showing up in the remote workspace, even prior to the pandemic, but now there's even more people are flooding to that problem because they're running into it themselves constantly. And so there's this massive surge of all these companies that are trying to build these like empower remote team type products. If you're in the space and trying to be one of those winners in that market, what would you do right now if you were in their position? I think the most important thing for them to do is to be very honest with themselves and evaluate the extent to which they are developing a new habit versus replacing perhaps temporarily an old habit. And what I mean is, I believe very firmly that while we are going to see an overall rise in remote work relative to pre-pandemic, that when effective vaccines and treatments arrive, a lot of people are going to go back to working the old-fashioned way. I'd say this is like a 5 to 15% shift, not a 50 to 70% shift. And so as a result... If you predicate your business on everything's going to be different in the future, you may be in for an unpleasant surprise. If, on the other hand, you're looking at the exact habits that you're forming and seeing whether those habits are going to persist after we get through to the other side of this pandemic, then you're in a much better position. So, for example, if your company is aiding remote workers, but it's going to help people, even those who only work remotely one or two days a week versus those who are constantly remote, I think you're in a better position because that's more likely to be something that we see in the future. So again, look at the specific behavior change and try to figure out if that habit change is truly going to be something that persists. And if you're in that spot and you're saying, we're getting a lot of traction, we are starting to really grow quickly, 
it seems like we should blitz scale now, but should we or should we not, given the fact that we don't know how the rest of the pandemic is going to play out? Is this just the uncertainty that you have to deal with? It is. You have to deal with the uncertainty because your ability to deal with uncertainty is one of your competitive advantages. If you wait until it's certain, then everyone else knows as well. It's like people who are investing in the market. They're saying, well, once it hits bottom, I'll invest. And the answer is, well, how do you know when it's going to hit bottom? Well, this sign will be very clear to me. Well, if it's clear to you, it's clear to everyone else. And so really what it's about is being willing to take a calculated risk, knowing something better than the rest of the world and moving just a little bit faster to gain that competitive advantage. Yep, makes total sense. So let's take a different example. So companies that have been operating for years and all of a sudden over the past six to eight months, they have seen their product market fit shift beneath their feet. What is your advice to people in that situation that are maybe still struggling with, we turned out so many users, what do we do from here? They're trying to like figure out the new market. If you were to share something with them to help them get on track, what would you want them to know? So I think that what I would tell them is that the pandemic is like many other elements of blitzscaling, which is to say something is going to change the game on you. The things that you use to get where you are won't necessarily work in the future. In some ways, the pandemic is doing you a favor because it's very clear that you have to change versus under normal circumstances when you might think, well, we're going along pretty well, we're growing, do we actually need to change? The answer, of course, is yes, because if you don't change, your competition might, and they might be able to catch up or even exceed you as a result. So the core thing you've got to do is you've got to say, I accept that the world is different. Now I've got to figure out the new rules of the game so I can play by them and win by them. And that process of figuring out the new rules is not an easy one because it's not just a question of, oh, I go on to Hacker News and somebody laid out the new rules and that's what it is. You have to figure it out for your particular industry, your particular company, your particular set of customers. And so I want people to adopt a very experimental point of view and framework in order to make sure that they can quickly identify and learn those new rules and then begin to win by them. So how do you reconcile the balance between when this is over, things will mostly turn back to normal. So I should hold on to the way that the market was operating before versus the, I need to recognize that the rules have changed and the market has shifted. I have to now like entirely shift my my focus. Like, how do you think about that, that balance? Well, I'll use my own personal example because one of the things I do as an author is I historically would spend a lot of my time on the road traveling to conferences and other corporate events and speaking. It's one of the ways we authors tend to make our money. And in fact, prior to the pandemic, I had already scheduled this year's trips to London, Hamburg, Singapore, Madrid, Sao Paulo, and all those things now are completely canceled. And so the question would be, okay, Chris, the world has suddenly changed. Should you hold on to what you were doing before and wait for this to come out? Or should you pivot and change in the interim? And what I did is I looked at the situation and gave an estimate for myself for planning purposes of when I think things are going to return to normal. My conclusion was that we are likely to have vaccines available in the early part of 2021. But because the kind of business that I'm in relies on there being in-person conferences, those conferences take time to plan. 
even if we are out of the effects of the pandemic by, say, the spring of 2021, it still takes three, six, nine months for those events to be planned and back on the schedule. So I said, I need to be prepared for well over a year of my traditional business model not working. And given that it's an entire year, I don't just want to sit around. So I said, well, what can I do to pivot that I could easily pivot back from? And for me, it is viewing this period as an opportunity to really boost my marketing and get the message out there, which is one of the reasons, for example, that I'm doing this podcast. It's one of the reasons why I do so much virtual speaking. I'm doing virtual speaking engagements every week now. And what I basically said is, let me reframe this pandemic. I could look at it as, oh, there's this terrible thing that has caused me to lose all these opportunities. And I might get depressed if I thought about it that way. Instead, I reframed it as, what are the things that are going to be easy to do over the next 12 months that can have an impact that are going to be hard or impossible to do after things go back to normal? And so by framing this pandemic as an opportunity, that's given me a sense of urgency and energy around doing different things. I love that. It's a great way to think about it. And the time horizon matters too, a lot in how you're going to approach it, right? You have to be able to accept that this thing might take a while. And so give yourself the runway to not get caught every two months thinking that like, oh, this was a, this is longer term than I thought. This is longer term than I thought and having a choppy approach to it. Exactly. And this is something where you're going to adjust your model all along. When the pandemic first hit, basically, I actually even did a presentation on this for an international audience. I said, look, the thing to watch out for is in this next 60 days, do we discover some sort of therapeutic that basically makes this harmless? If we are able to do that, and we can scale that up quickly, then this will be a V-shaped recovery. But if we are not able to do that, this is going to be a lasting thing that goes well into 2021. And so I had that trigger point in my mind, and I could watch what was going on with clinical trials and know within 60 days of when the pandemic really hit in the United States, which is out into May, that this is something that was going to last well through the first half of 2021, and then adjust accordingly. Yeah, makes makes a lot of sense. What do you think of the companies that right at the start, maybe in March or April, a lot of tech companies immediately cut down on employees, right? They cut 10% of staff, 30% of staff. And a lot of these were well-known blitzscaling companies. What is your take on that? Like, I'm sure that you have seen some insights on how that has played out internally for some of the companies that did a lot of those layoffs, right? Some people are feeling like things are returning back to normal. And now maybe those companies now have lost an opportunity and they have to go retrain all these people. Like, what's your take on that? Do you think a lot of those cases were just kind of trimming extra resources that maybe should have been trimmed anyway? Like, what, what's your what's your take there? Well, I think it's definitely the case that given the boom times, there was probably some level of fat to be trimmed. But uh, I think that that is really a kind of approach that I just don't like. It makes it sound like these people were somehow doing something wrong and deserve to be laid off. And that's definitely not the case. This is a terrible exogenous event. And most of the people who are laid off are people who are doing a fine job. And I think that's reflected in some of the letters and emails that various CEOs of these companies have written. I think it boils down to you had to, at that point in time, evaluate just how badly you thought your business was going to be affected. And if you thought your business was going to be really severely affected, you had to take action in order to reduce those costs. And I don't criticize too much those people who were able to do that. But on the other hand, 
if you were panicked into this action, despite the fact that if you spent a little time thinking about it, you could have figured out that maybe this was not going to be a long-term shift. It was just a short-term blip. Then you do deserve some criticism for allowing your emotions to carry you. I was just reading an article recently saying that car dealerships around the country here in the United States are running out of cars to sell. And that's partially due to the fact that the factory assembly lines are having trouble coming back. But part of it is that so many of the dealerships said, you know what, we're going to batten down the hatches. And there's apparently video or audio recordings of the head of Toyota in North America pleading with them saying, take as many of these cars and trucks as you can. You don't know what's going to happen with the assembly lines. I guarantee you when people start buying cars again, you're going to wish you had these. And sure enough, that has come to pass. And so it really boils down to there's no hard and fast rule that says I should either cut or not cut. You have to form a hypothesis about what's going to happen to your business in the future and then act accordingly. Yeah, I, I think it's a great way to think about it. And I, not being a CEO in this scenario, I can only imagine how difficult those decisions were and still are, I'm sure. I watched it from afar as David Cancel at Drift was trying to make that decision. It is quite an immediate shift that happened there. And I, I like what you said about it could be easy to get emotionally pulled into that sort of decision. And maybe that is where blunders would have happened where people are saying, man, we should have just held on a little bit longer. Exactly. And this is something that my co-author Reed Hoffman and I have written about, which is that when it comes to things like layoffs, he described a situation at LinkedIn during the financial crisis back in 2008. And in 2008, Sequoia Partners, the venture capital firm, famously had this presentation, RIP Good Times. And the guy who was then the CEO of LinkedIn, Jeff Wiener's predecessor, went to this presentation and came back and said, oh, we have to, we have to cut. We have to do a layoff. And Reed said, well, hold on for a second. Why do we need to do a layoff? Well, we have this presentation, the good times are over. And he's like, well, is it over for us? Does it have that impact on our business? Is it necessary? Will we get more benefit out of doing a layoff than we would not doing a layoff? Let's really think about this. Let's not just be stampeded into it because somebody put up a scary looking graphic on a PowerPoint slide. And after looking through the situation and looking at the numbers and seeing how things had changed, they concluded they did not need to do a layoff. And in fact, that was a good decision not to do the layoff. And obviously, the company ended up doing very well out of that going public and being acquired by Microsoft. So it really is a case of individual companies need to do their homework and decide for our business, what is the likely outcome and what are the ways that we can achieve the best risk-adjusted return? On that note of really thinking through that sort of decision, I feel like there's some tension, natural tension between in order to properly blitz scale, like you talk about the first scalar advantage, like you have to be one of the first to the market and especially winner takes all. And you also have to be really thoughtfully strategic on is blitz scaling the right thing for us or are cutting our resources in one way or another the right thing for us? Like, how, how do you think about the don't do it on a whim versus the you're taking too long and now you're going to miss the opportunity? Like, what is that nailing it right on the head kind of look like? Yeah, this is one of those classic things where people say you have to go fast, but you can't hurry. And they're like, wait a minute, what the hell is that supposed to mean? 
And the way I interpret it is that there are really different timeframes that we're talking about here. So when it comes time to make a decision, I would say that the framework, the time frame for making a decision is you need to make a decision quickly. And that means making a decision in less than 24 hours. And you can gather information during those 24 hours, but oftentimes you're dealing with a very uncertain environment where after that 24 hours expires, waiting another week is really not going to get you that much more information. But it's not the same thing as saying, all right, we're here in this board meeting right now. It ends in 30 minutes. Therefore, we have to make a decision now. That's just allowing the artificial constraints of the board meeting to make you make a decision when if you spent another couple of hours really modeling it out, you could reach a better one. There's all these things, I call it the Hollywood movie approach. In the Hollywood movie, when the situation comes up, the hero says, we have to make a decision right now. Uh, They never say, all right, we have to go gather information, return in two hours, really go through this process, and then make the right decision. It just doesn't make for as good a movie. And we think in terms of these Hollywood movies. On the other hand, the reason you have to move quickly is you can make the decision in the time frame of less than a day, but you should also be acting in the time frame of less than a day. Far too often, people will act on a cadence that might be on a weekly basis, for example. Oh, well, we have this weekly meeting and we'll make the decision during the weekly meeting. My goodness, during a time of crisis like this, a week is a very long time. And so you need to have a sense of urgency around taking action once you believe you have made the right decision. So I don't see there being a contradiction between saying, You need to take the time to think, but you also need to act quickly because you can take the time to think in less than 24 hours, and then you can act quickly in less than 24 hours. That's a great way to think about it. I I love that because, yeah, I mean, after after you do the proper data gathering, what is sitting on it for another five, six days going to do except stress you and everyone around you (laughs) out a bit more? (laughs) Exactly. And look, I understand it's very human to want to do that because It just takes a little time for our brains to maybe subconsciously process the new reality and come to accept it. And I think a lot of us did not accept the reality of COVID-19 until that day in March, I believe it was March 11th, when the NBA shut down and we found out Tom Hanks had COVID-19. All of a sudden, our brains caught up and said, holy smokes, take this seriously. But there have been warning signs for weeks at that point, and the president wasn't the only one who was ignoring them. Most of us were as well. Do you think that, maybe this is one of the last questions here, do you think that it's too late to properly adjust and take advantage of market changes, either to save your company if you have a bit more runway or to reshift and then find a blitz scaling opportunity where you didn't previously have one? I mean, I, I, I'm going to guess the answer is probably no, it's not too late. I would love to hear what your what your thoughts are there. It's never too late unless somebody has already won the market, because until that market is won, you still have the chance to come in and be the market leader. Now, once the market has been won, it becomes a lot harder to dislodge that leader. But until that point in time, you should absolutely do it. And when it comes to taking action, obviously, the best time to have taken action is in the past, but the second best time to have taken action is in the present. So you can't do anything other than act now. That's the best you can do. Don't beat yourself up about having not thought about things. Listen, if I were to beat myself up about all the times it took me longer to come to the right conclusion than I would have liked, you know, I would just be one giant bruise because it happens all the time. But beating yourself up further and therefore slowing down your action is not the answer. You need to forgive yourself and say, look, I'm going to try to figure out how to think through more quickly and better in the future. But for right now, let's just act. 
Chris, it has been a pleasure. It's very obvious that you do this pretty often and your answers are clear and succinct. Super appreciate you joining. And before we go, you just recently launched something that folks can go check out to learn more about how to blitzscale and and think about their strategy. Do you want to share? Absolutely. So just as we've been talking about adjusting, Global Scaling Academy has been around for a number of years. We've run programs around the world on four or five different continents, helping startups and corporations be more innovative and figure out how to blitzscale things. But obviously, in the COVID-19 world, it doesn't make sense for me to get on a plane and fly to the Middle East or to South America or to Europe. And so as a result, we have pivoted. We have launched the Global Scaling Academy online community. You can now join this community for startup founders, for corporate innovators, for investors. That's going to bring you together with the leading practitioners of blitzscaling from around the world. You'll be able to interact with thought leaders. You'll be able to get advice from me. And it's just a great opportunity. If you are trying to puzzle out how to blitz scale, whether to blitz scale, what to do about your particular company, you can join the Global Scaling Academy and we'll be able to help. And that's just at globalscalingacademy.com. And of course, if you're just interested in learning more about the different things I work on, books, articles, the like, you can always visit chrisye.com at C-H-R-I-S-Y-E-H, as in yellow elephant house, dot com. And you can read up there, sign up for my newsletter, and otherwise just tap into the additional wisdom that I hope I'm putting out all the time. Great. Chris, thank you so much again. We really appreciate it. My pleasure, Matt. Looking forward to the next time. Absolutely. And for those of you listening, I never ask this up front because I'm always annoyed when YouTube videos or whatever do this. But if you like this episode, there are plenty more like it. So go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Check it out. There are tons of other really great insights from other leaders in growth, product strategy, all that fun stuff. If you have any feedback, any questions, anything like that, my email is matt at drift.com. Go ahead and drop me a note and I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks. Thanks.